Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Timothy Dotson. I'm Trenton Alak. And I'm Donald Garrett. And you are listening to the Passion Cast. So today we got a reoccurring guest. Go ahead and welcome yourself. Uh, I'm Zarek Barnett. I was here on like the third or fourth episode, I believe. Something like that, yeah. I, I can't yeah, find, Finding my best friend in the light. If, uh, that's, that's right. Where I was that's at. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a very special guest. I've been waiting to do this episode and I'm super excited to do it. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, yes, I'm Pastor Blake. Um, first off, I want to say I'm super excited to be on the podcast with you guys. I've uh, been listening pretty much since the start. And uh, I'm just, I'm so excited for what you guys are doing here. So thanks for having me on. Hey, absolutely. We wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't miss it for a second. Um, So usually when we have a new guest over, uh, we just have them kind of share things about themselves to the audience. Uh, If you'd like to, you can go ahead and talk about your testimony, give your testimony, tell them a little bit about yourself, and then we'll hop off from there. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I actually haven't shared my testimony with you guys at all. So I'm, That is true. I'm that there. is true. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. Um, so, yeah. Of course, now I'm pastor. Uh, pastor of church in Gadsden, Alabama. Um, I've been here for about a year and a half now. And that would be crazy if you knew me about five or six years ago. Uh, God just really stepped in and, and just dramatically changed my life. And so, yeah, I'll just share a little bit about that. Um, I grew up in church. Sunday school, I went to, you know, uh, VBS, stuff like that, but I, I was never really in it, right? Um, I went because my parents went, we didn't go every Sunday, uh, we just, we were, we weren't really in it all the way, but I, I, I had an, an anxious relationship with God for what it was, right? I remember any little mistake I'd make, I'd be just begging God to forgive me because I was just so scared that I was going to die and, and wake up judged to go to hell, basically. Well, and I'll, I'll skip some details, but at about 18 years old, I moved out of my parents' house and was living on my own. Um, really got away from church, away from anything to do with God. I, I mean, I, I didn't really, I was an atheist and I wasn't, agnostic or anything but I just didn't care really mm-hmm. um, and one thing led to another and I actually tried marijuana and that kind of that tracked me off into a, a really bad trajectory so by the end of my being 20 years old so right before I turned 21 by that point in my life I was taking pills um, marijuana was just like drinking water like I mean it was just something I did uh, I tried some hallucinogens some of those types of drugs and not only did the addiction to drugs come but my worldview was really being shaped by that um, I started selling drugs actually and just put on a really tough persona um, and you, knowing me now you guys have known me for a little while but you probably really wouldn't you would not recognize me went back in time and met, met me, you would recognize I mean, my eyebrows raised. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, did not, I didn't Surprising. expect that at all. Yeah. So, selling drugs, doing drugs, um, and my mindset was probably new age. That's probably where I landed. Very paranoid, very anxious, very depressed. 
I won't go into too many details because there's parts of my testimony that I haven't shared and I really hope that one day I'll have the courage to share certain parts, um, but just for the time being, I won't go into too much of it. But some really horrible things happened in my life during that span of 18 to 21, like horrible things, and just sent me down. Uh, I mean, I was suicidal. I was depressed, taking tons of drugs. Um, I, I remember actually, I was so paranoid in that time of my life that. I mean, I was watching the sky waiting for just something to happen. Like, I was just so convinced that I just couldn't trust the world I lived in. Let me just put it that way. And really, there was, there was this one point where I can look back now and see how God was working on me. So I actually visited a church in Collinsville. And it was a night service. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But I remember they, they were singing about God's being... God's love being devoted like a ring of solid gold. And I was furious. Like, I got up mad and walked out and was just so mad at even thinking that God could be devoted or committed or, or anything like that. Because I just, I guess subconsciously I felt abandoned. And, uh, you know, I don't even know the time frame, but I guess months later, maybe even a year or so later, I found myself, I was living with my family at the time, I found myself in my bedroom one night. And I was high, actually. And I had a gun in the room with me. And I, I know at that moment, I told God, I said, and I don't even know how I need to pray this, but I just knew. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I need you to save me. Because I knew in that moment that was it. Like it was, I needed saving and I needed it now. Or the next step was, I was done. I was just really at the end of myself. And so I fell asleep that night. And I always make a, a joke about that because if, you're, if you've ever been addicted to drugs, you know that you don't sleep, right? So for me to have fallen asleep was a miracle in itself. But anyways, I woke up the next morning and I cannot explain it to you guys other than everything was new. I was new. The world I was living in was new. It was ridiculous. I mean, I, I literally couldn't, I couldn't hardly see because everything just felt so bright, so real. And walked out of my bedroom, went into the kitchen area, um, and my grandmother, I guess she was probably making breakfast or whatever, but she she knew something was up. And uh, she, she tells me now, she's talked to me, and she said, I was just waiting for my bubble to be burst because she said me and, and your grandfather had been praying for this to happen, and we just couldn't believe that it was literally overnight. So that started... Uh, the, the next six months, I'll say, were foundational to my Christian life, but so much has happened now that I hope we get to talk about today, um, because I think it's important for everyone to, to, to think about. But those first six months of my salvation, of my life with Christ now, um, number one, I was new, completely new. I, I understood that I was no longer the same person I was at all, which and it was radical. I mean... I'm, I'm not kidding you, I don't even like to share this kind of thing, but I was in a mindset that before I got saved that it would have been nothing to have, to have murdered somebody out of anger. Like, I was so gone. So here I am, I'm a new creation. I asked God, what do, you, what do I do now? And uh, he said, read my word through your new eyes. Like that's, I haven't heard God speak too many times to me, but that was a moment where I, I distinctly knew God said that to me. So I read the Bible front to back in a very, probably three months, I read the entire Bible. Um, I, ne I didn't watch anything but sermons. I didn't listen to any uh, secular music, just Christian music. Didn't do anything other than 
pray, read the Bible, have personal times of worship in my room. I mean, I could go into that, but I'm trying to, to not get too many details. But I mean, the, I would have times where I would be worshiping and a, a tangible, like visible cloud would fill the room. Like I couldn't see my hand in front of me. Just the presence of God was so strong in my room. That lasted for probably six months. Six months in, after all that had been happening, I'm, I'm building these frameworks in my mind for what it means to be a Christian. And I will know, very legalistic, very word for word. The Bible says this, you can't stray away from that. Um, but I, then I started struggling with sin. I'm alone, I'm struggling with sin. And that would mark me and change me almost as much, if not as much, as that actual transformation that happened at salvation. So I'll leave the conversation there for now, but that's that's how I got to know Christ at least. Well dude that that's actually like a really cool testimony. I, I like that. Especially the part, you know, talking about worship mm-hmm. and the whole cloud thing. Like that's that's just insane to me. I don't know how I'd react seeing that. I would just be in awe. But um no, yeah, we, we have a couple things to talk about today. We got a range of things to talk about. And we don't know if we'll hit on everything, if we'll remember to hit on everything, but we're definitely going to do everything we can to remember to do so. Um, so, to begin with, um, do, man, what, what else do, uh, so you had some notes. What, what what we can start with that what in those notes did is is there anything that you would like to go ahead and just like hash out for us like just jump on or yeah so you know the main thing that i i feel really impressed to share today is that in those early months of of my christian formation i really built some some thick walls yeah and there were some walls that would would be torn down eventually, and they're actually still being torn down. Mm-hmm. But I think that process—I don't want to use the word deconstruction. I know that's a it's big thing. That, yeah. Everybody wants to deconstruct. I, I get that, but it can feel like that's what's happening, right? Yeah. You, you build this paradigm, you build this worldview, you, you set all these expectations for yourself. That have, some of it's been handed down to you. Some of it comes from just reading the Bible. Uh, I don't want to say on an, in an uneducated way, but like we don't really know how to read the Bible, you know, to some degree. And mm-hmm. it's not meant to just be read literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you don't read a poem word for word literally, right? It has to be, you have to understand poetry to read poetry. There's context. You there's... can't read the Bible with a forensic lens. Right. You have to look at it with a covenantial lens. And by that, what I mean by that, in case anybody's wondering, is that you can't just hold a magnifying glass up to the Bible and be like, oh, that's what it's saying, so that's what it means. You have to look at it through the new covenantial lens that Christ, that, that kind of refers to what you said about, y'all said, read my word through your new eyes. And so we can't just go up and look at it, like, well, the Bible says this, well, then that that's just that. James Clinton says it best. Everything in the Bible is true, but not everything in the Bible, or everything in the Bible is not truth. Mm, perfect, not, because, you know, you think about the Old Testament, right? Or you, not everything. That's what yeah, right. You, you think about the Old Testament. You look at a story like Abraham. Mm. Abraham, he's standing here with God, apparently. He's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's having to convince God of his nature to not destroy this place. Mm. 
and God's having this interchange with him. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you read it like that, you're thinking, well, God's a little, you know, we gotta, we have to convince God not to be good. That's kind of, you know, how can I trust a God who I have to convince of who He is? But if you read it through that, the eyes of covenant, what you're seeing is you're seeing a prefiguration of Christ, right? Yep. And so, yeah. I think, you know, I find that interesting. What you had said about the, uh, you know, covenantal lens versus forensic lens, it kind of reminds me of coming out of atheism, going into Christianity. It, it was a complete just shift in my mode of thought, if that makes sense. I used to have a very sort of facts-based sense about the world. Everything yeah. has to make total sense 100% of the Being time. Be black and white all the time. Yes, completely. Just that truth, false, simple, no in-between. And sort of going into the Bible, you find that that's not often how it works. It often goes deeper, and there are different ways that you can look at things. And sometimes there's cultural context that goes into it, and different stuff like that. And even just in life, I found a shift in that. If you were to prove 100% to me without a shadow of a doubt that God did not exist, I would not believe you. Because of what I've experienced and because of the relationship I have with him, because I don't have that mode of thought anymore. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of Christians who are trapped in that very facts-based mode of thought, if that makes sense. Well, you look too, there's uh, a lot of people just in church, uh, Christians, who kind of push this narrative that, you know, you got to know every little thing there is to know in order for your faith to be strong. Uh, and there's no other way to do it. If you don't know what you're talking about, then, you know, you're 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 done for kind of kind of like that and that's that was something that I was really afraid of you know sharing and that testimony you know you and I were atheists we we did we came from in, in a sense I guess you could call our atheism legalistic mm -hmm. in a sense it was very stingy with information black and white even first becoming a Christian it, it was oh, yeah. that was how it was but it's different but um, the uh, the big thing, what, what one thing I would say to people who are really information-based, there's nothing wrong with you know learning new things and finding new things and being knowledgeable. That's a great thing. That's wonderful. But uh, in order, I will say this, and I'm not saying that it's impossible to see someone get saved based off of some kind of historical debate or argument. But I think nine times out of ten, you're just not going to see that. Uh, I wasn't saved based off of information. I was saved through an experience with Jesus. Uh, through a friend. Through a friend. Him. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I had to learn love. Not, not when the Bible was written, how reliable was scripture. That, that never helped. No matter how much... I, I tried it always had to come down to an experience with the Holy Ghost with other Holy Ghost filled people you know just intimacy with God was the key to becoming solid getting a solid foundation with Christ yeah well I, I actually saw I, I can't take credit for this I can't remember the guy but I saw a video the other day of this guy talking about there is such a large percentage of uh, of I wouldn't say, well, I, I can't remember if he said this exactly, but he did say this for a fact. He said that there is biblical idolatry within a lot of churches. Uh, basically, 
in a way, and I know idolatry is putting something before God, and I know that's probably not the intent, but it's like we, we put this, the Bible, uh, maybe it's not people's intent. I, I know I have back when I was in, I was enthused with religion. I didn't know it. I was like, what well, the Bible said, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And there's stuff in here that we really, uh, I mean, Exodus 21, 20, uh, for example, uh, Moses talks about um, letting your, actually gives you permission to beat your slave. I'll even, I'll even read it to you. When a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies under his abuse, the owner must be punished. However, if the slave can stand up after a day or two, the owner should not be punished because he is his owner's property. So that's what the Bible says. Is that, so is it, is it biblical? Yes, it is biblical. It is in there. But that is obviously not the will of God. Yeah. Now Moses wrote that in there because I, maybe he thought that's what, the law should be because that's what he thought God was looking after. So I'm saying that so many people follow what what the book says, but they have to understand uh, Moses and them didn't have the Bible. Right. Uh, Joshua did not have the Bible. Samuel did not have the Bible. They did not have what we what we had. They literally, and that's why I used to be kind of hard on them, but now that I've kind of stepped back and seen like they genuinely had to go off of what they. Now, obviously, yes, God spoke to them. But I think there are times where we, even today, where we misspeak for God. Uh, and, I, and I think maybe they did that a few times. And yeah, I'll say that. I mean, well, And I love because Jesus comes on the scene and says, you've heard that it was said. Yeah. But I say to you. So, and that comes, that comes right to the covenantial lens, right? Mm -hmm. um, I like to say this. Anytime you're reading the Bible... You've got to read it with your Jesus glasses on. Mm -hmm. You've got to look through the eyes of Jesus because the Bible is not the full, let me say this, the Bible is not the express image of the invisible God. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the express image of the mm -hmm. invisible God. Mm -hmm. Here's another thing. For the first 1,500 years of Christianity, we didn't have an assembled New Testament. They probably had access to uh, the Old Testament, right? But even then, common person would not have even the Old Testament to themselves. Uh, so they definitely did not have for the first 1500 years of Christianity, the Bible as we know it today. So, yeah, you know, I think a lot of what we've said about this could be summed up with just simply Jesus goes deeper. Mm -hmm. Jesus goes deeper than the facts. Jesus goes deeper than the Bible. Jesus goes deeper. And we have to understand that and be willing to look for him in a way that is deeper than simple facts and logic. And it's just something completely different. It's a different mode, if yeah. that makes sense. Right. So like, well, well Donald, before we, kind of, you got anything to say there? Uh, I mean, I, I'd like to go back to um, talking about, oh, it's leaving me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, going back and talking about, like, people usually don't get converted based on like historical facts and things like that it's because your your worldview even if you may not realize it is probably 90% emotional because the way we have to interact with the world is emotional it's it's a soul level it's a deep interaction with the world it's not a, a facts based it's not a history or science based I mean that plays into it but it's mostly our emotions, our relationships, and our experiences. That's what informs the way we think and the way we live. And that's 
why we're putting an emphasis on that and putting an emphasis on instead of <clears throat> like examining and analyzing the, the all the intricate details of the Bible just focusing on the perfect expression of God and that's Jesus right it's kind of like humans are inherently biased beings and instead of a often We'll, we'll pretend and tell ourselves that we're all focused on the facts. We're all focused on the evidence. But in reality, we're focused on our emotions and what we think, and we use the facts and evidence to support what we think. We don't let what we think come from the facts and evidence. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's just part of how yeah. we, like, it's just part of... It's actually a beautiful thing when you come together in relationship with other people and let mm -hmm. that happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, no, so... Uh, Today, we, we had a wonderful Sunday service. Um, I was blessed to be able to come and speak at uh, uh, Pastor Blake Novell's church. Um, and we did talk about kind of going over some of the stuff that got talked about this morning. Um, one thing that really, I guess, it hit me or inspired me to give the word that I gave this morning was... Um, you know, I, I had seen, I've seen so many people talk about, um, you know, it's, it's impossible to, uh, like, okay, our goal in this life is not to become sinless, but to become closer with the Lord. That is one thing that I wanted to hit on. The, the whole becoming sinless part is is something like that that all of that's already been taken care of um, what I was getting at is so many people I feel have been just so in the gutter and I mean I think almost all time that they think that they will never ever have the opportunity to live a sinless life through Jesus and uh, what I'm getting at is that if we put our faith within Christ and allow Christ to grow us and allow the process of all of that to just like we, we marinate in that and we we take all of that in we become a lot more Christ-centered our minds become set on Christ and it helps us get away not so that we can get away from uh, you know condemnation like or, or looking bad or you know it's not it's not about our image it's about the guilt and power that sin imposes on people it destroys people it, it breaks us down and it like it, I mean when you mess up when you slip up when you when you scrape your knee as a kind of like a analogy a lot of the times people end up beating themselves up I used the woman the the adulterous woman in John uh, 8 that story I used that and how Jesus interacts with her in verses 10 and 11 and um, you know he shows her love and compassion lifts her up rather than trying to stone her like the Pharisees desired to. He instead showed her the love of God 
reconciled her and I believe that inspired her to live a life for God, not through the basis of, I don't wanna be in a situation where I might get stoned again, that's out of fear, but more so of a, I'm so in love with this Jesus that my desire to sin is no longer my mindset. My mindset is upon him. Right, because Jesus with the woman that was caught in adultery, right? He didn't say, go and sin no more or else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. He he wasn't, he never guaranteed in that, in that verse as well, which I'll go ahead and read that off. Uh, it says in John 8, 10, and 11, in those verses, in those two verses, from the Passion Translation, it says, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin. Now there's no guarantee. He, he never says, okay, now you're never going to go sin again. But he is telling her to be free from that. Um, one thing to realize in our walk with Christ is that, you know, we, we need to stop thinking that we're going to be absolutely perfect and that if we fall, then we're doomed. There's healing after there is pain and after falling and scraping the knees. It's like something you said before, Zarek. You said, thank God for Band-Aids. Uh, there, there's healing after that hurt. Um, but You can even take it further than Band-Aids, because I know some people, I'm, I'm going to say this, there's so many people that anytime you speak on grace, there's so many people that will listen, or, or any messages like this, and then they're waiting, and they're literally toning this part out, not people listening to this, I'm saying people in general. Right. And they'll tune this whole part out, and they're, and they're thinking the whole time, well, when are they going to get to uh, seeing ain't a license, or grace ain't a license? Mm-hmm. Or you talk, well, you know, well, yeah, Band-Aids can fix a, 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 a what you say, a scrape on the knee. Mm-hmm. Well, what about them, them big, deep cuts? Well, they're stitches. What about if you, you know, what about anything? Well, they're surgeries. There's, there is always a way. Yeah. There is always a way to, to become healed. Now, I'm not talking about in the physical, but in the spiritual there is always redemption. Mm-hmm. Always redemption. I heard Andrew Farley say it this way the other day. Uh, somebody called in his show, and if you have never listened to Andrew Farley, you should look him up. It's uh, the, the Message of Grace with uh, Dr. Andrew Farley. Somebody called in, and they said, and they were talking about, but you know, sin is not a license, or grace is not a license to sin. We can't just go and, and all this and all that. And he just asked him, he said, who, who talks? He said, who, who is wanting to live in sin? He said, where are we getting that? He said, why is it that any time we talk about resting in the arms of Jesus, we have to then pervert that mm-hmm. with talking about how people shouldn't want to live in sin? He said, I don't want to live in sin. He said, do you want to live in sin? Yeah. He was like, that, that, why do we have to do that every single time? Right. We don't have to do that every single time. No. It, it's like this, man. When talking about the woman, at the, uh, the adulterous woman, she was literally caught in the act. She was, I'm, I'm going to be a little, I guess I could be a little graphic here. I mean, if they were caught in the act, 
and they just drug her. I'm just assuming here, not saying this is biblical. I'm just assuming here, you know, they probably didn't even let her get dressed full. They probably went in there, grabbed her, threw her on the ground. You notice they left the guy out, by the way. They left him out. Yeah. Forget him. But the woman. So obviously she was caught in the act, so she knows what she was doing was wrong. So what would have worked? Well, we can see what worked. Was it that Jesus told her she was wrong? Well, no, she was caught in the act. She already knew that. It would be like going up to somebody, coughing up blood, and telling them, man, you're sick. Oh, thank you. I, I could have noticed with the blood everywhere that I've coughed up, or, or, or whatever it is, or somebody's throwing up. Oh, well, thank you. You got a napkin for this? You got some medicine to give me? Because unless not, I don't need to hear how wrong I am. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't tell people, and I do not misconstrue that by, by saying that we shouldn't correct people, but people who are sick, uh, telling them how sick they are is not going to work uh, unless we give them uh, some sort of medicine. And uh, Pastor Blake actually said the perfect cure for a life of sin is the love of God. I was, I was hoping he would say it. I was hoping he would say it. He didn't say it. But it is the love of God, and the love of God is that cure. Now, correction I do believe in. Uh, but people who do not live for Jesus, what can they be corrected on? And, and that's a good point. The point that I wanted to make was that we're not told in Scripture to tell people that they're sick. Yeah. Now, we are given you know, certain instructions about how to correct and reprove each other. Yes. Right Within the, the, the family of faith, right? there are certain ways of, of helping with the mindset of uplifting and encouraging, right, each other. Mm -hmm. But there's nowhere, and we're not even given a model. Like what? Tell me one sermon in the New Testament, especially think about like the Acts and, and, and the disciples coming out, they're starting this thing, right? Show me a sermon where they preached. You better get your act together because you're sinning, you're on a, you're on a road to hell. And if you don't repent and, and ask Christ into your heart, then there's no help for you. Where's that at? Nowhere. You'll, you'll, you'll never find it. In fact, it goes so far to go in the opposite direction. First Corinthians, First Corinthians 5, 11 talks about that. And actually, I'll just tell you what it says. There was a man who come in, or there was a man in the church who had been sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul actually informed the church that they need to just kick him out. And they did. He got to, they actually brought him back in in Second Corinthians. You can read that. Uh, but I don't really like, I, I, I like quoting, but I don't want to. I'm actually just going to read this because that is a good point because I was actually thinking that in my head. Um, let me find it. Yes. Now I'm writing to you so that you would exclude from your fellowship anyone who calls himself a fellow believer and practices sexual immorality or is consumed with greed or is an idolater or is verbally abusive or a drunkard or swindler. Keep in mind he's talking about people who claim to believe. He's not talking about people who just genuinely live this life. He's talking about people who say, oh, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I live for God. I'm a churchgoer and blah, blah, all that stuff. He says, don't mingle with them or even have a meal with someone like that. He said, what right do I have to pronounce judgment on unbelievers? Paul is saying this. The guy who was literally just talking about uh, stay away from sexual morality. He was talking about people who claim to be believers. He was saying, what right do I have to pronounce judgment on unbelievers? That's God's responsibility. But those who are inside the church family are our responsibility to discern and judge. So it is your duty to remove that wicked one from among you. Talking about the guy who was sleeping with his stepmother. But... And, and Jesus has already judged those that are outside, right? You know what his yes. judgment was? Father, forgive them, for they know not yeah. what they do. Listen, the, the thing that happens on the cross is this. 
Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, right, has taken not just one single historical body 2,000 years ago. He has taken humanity. He's taken flesh. He's put on all of humanity. And he lets humanity do its worst to him. You can't do anything worse than kill God. You really what, can't? <laughs> what can you do worse than kill God? And his judgment is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That should be sobering. Because in that context, what, what what we're being told here is that, yes, there there is a way of dealing with those that are in, in this thing. But even that, it's for the purpose of, of upholding, of taking care of, of... It's almost like he's talking about you're, you're living with people and this one person in your family has gotten sick. Well, you don't just go loving all over them, hugging them, kissing them, and getting sick too, right? That's not going to do you any good. You can't take care of them if you're sick too. So let's let's get them the healing they need. But right, so that's how I feel. That's how I feel. This passage uh, should, is leading us. You know. Going back to, you know, just with this idea of, like, not judging outsiders from the church. I, I hear it a lot where somebody will be watching the news or something like that, and they're like, ah, oh, this, this sick old world, and they'll be talking about the atheists doing this and that, and, you know, companies doing this and that. And those things can be wrong, but you can also not judge them for it at the same time in the aspect of if you've been... A Christian your entire life sometimes you don't understand that there is a these people are existing in a different mode of thought than you do you know going back to the idea of modes of thought they exist from a completely different perspective than you do and you can't expect them to simply completely shift their perspective on a dime without experiencing something just because your mom and dad dragged you to church and you came out the womb uh, shaking a tambourine mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't mean that mean but I mean, that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see so so much. We, you go into church, I'm going to Bible Belt. Not, get this, not everything in the Bible Belt is biblical. But yeah. you go to a church in the Bible Belt, I'm talking about a real, just southern church. And, you know, you'll see on the signs, a lot of times you will see on church signs, we want the drunks, we want the, we want the sinners, we want the drug addicts, we want the gays, or whatever. And we, we, want, we want these people. Then you go in there, there ain't there ain't none. Why is that? Why why is it when we go into churches, it's only the people who treat their servers at uh, Applebee's an hour after church like dog trash? Why is it are those the only people that we have in the church and not the people that we say we want on the signs? Why is that? So, and this this is really I'm so glad this is going this direction because I feel like this is what was this is where it's supposed to go, right? That's the reason I, I kind of told my story the way that I did and ended it kind of on a cliffhanger. Because the struggle that I was having internally or, or whatever uh, was with the idea of holiness mm -hmm. and sanctification and what those things mean, right? So I'm going to quote Pastor Blake Neville. Um, <laughs> good, good guy. <laughs> um, I'm real humble like that. But <laughs> holiness is not measured by how much you sin it's measured by how much you love so what we have done is we have gotten the idea in our minds that we're called to be holy which we are but that what that means is that we're called to not sin right 
But that's not at all what holiness is about. You, you look at the word holy. The, whole, the word holy means set apart. If I've got three cups sitting here, they're empty. I take one of those cups and I set it over here because these two are going to be used for water, but this one over here is going to be used for something different, soda. That cup is holy now. It's been set apart from the rest for a different purpose than the other ones. So that's what holiness is about. It's not about being better than the other cups, right? It's, it's about being for a different purpose. There's a couple things here to, to really talk about and think about. Number one, everybody is called to be holy. So it's not just certain groups of people that are called to be set aside for something great. It's, you know, right, how do we know that Jesus comes to Israel? Israel, in their mind, has been set apart to be holy from the rest of the nations. They get it in their heads that they're supposed to be other than, right? That the rest of the world's evil, disgusting, blah, blah, blah. And we're called to be different and holy. But their, their holiness was for the sole purpose of being a blessing to all nations. So they were supposed to be brought, brought out, right, of the rest of the world, set apart. But, but it's for a purpose, and that's to bless all the nations. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen a repeat cycle here uh, with Christianity. We're, we've been called apart. And what have we been called apart from? We've been called apart from the law. We've been called apart from that system, those systems. But not so that we can make a new set of laws and have some new way of being better than everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it's like we're, we're so, we're doing the same thing, right? That is honestly something that like I've really been picking up on a lot. And it's, on a personal level, what that does is it causes you to have to completely ignore reality for that to be true. Because if the pur- purpose of Christianity is to be holy, and if holy means to be sinless, then when you sin, <laughs> either you're not saved, or something's completely wrong with you, you're broken, you're flawed, you're not doing this thing right. Um, and, and so, let me track it back a little bit. In my thinking, I was supposed to have been saved and then have some ecstatic experience, and I use that word ecstatic on purpose. Uh, something that was just so different and, and mind-blowing and outward that it could be visibly seen, right? Some kind of, well, I'll just tell myself I'm Pentecostal, so I'll just leave that where it lies. But I had this idea that there was going to be this experience that just made me not struggle with sin anymore. And that's just not the point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the point? So let me let me... At the sake of rambling, leave that where it is and, and let you guys chime in. You know, I think the perfect image for this concept of self-effort and then receiving from self-effort, and I preached on this uh, Wednesday, is the Pool of Bethesda. Because you see two things in the story of the Pool of Bethesda. You see the pool and you see the people trying to get into the pool to be the first in the pool. It's the physical version of you have to be the best to receive something from God, right? And then you see Jesus come in, and it's completely different. The man who got his healing wasn't healed because he was the first in a pool, nor was it because he was the best person in the room. He simply got his healing because Jesus walked up to him and he said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll take that. I want to be healed, and that's all it took. But for everybody else, they thought they needed to get into that well, but or that pool, 
but the well that wouldn't run dry was right there, ready to give it out. And they didn't have to be the first for him. They just had to accept it. Okay, it, it just, I don't know, it, it seems like things have devolved, or maybe ever since, well, relatively toward the beginning. Because, I mean, surely, at least most of the people who had experienced Christ in the early days of Christianity, they probably had a better idea of it than we did. I mean, they had the apostles around. Not saying that, you know, we're, we're lesser than them, but more so saying they probably had a lot more to pull from in that regard. They had people who lived and talked to Jesus. But um, the thing is, is uh, it seems like everyone, everything's devolved into you got to check off all these qualifications of this list to in order to be you know, qualified, uh, whether that be to receive um, praise or whether that recognition or whatever it may be, even love or, or acceptance from the church or even Christ. So many people try to speak for Christ and those people also are saying these such and such group of people, they, they're gonna burn, they're gonna burn, they're, all these other crazy stuff. And it's like, never once did I ever read, have I ever read, nor will I ever read where Jesus has said, yeah, this group of people or people who do this, you're gonna see them suffer for every little detail that they they haven't gotten right. And people take joy in that. I don't know how, but people enjoy that thought so much. Oh, it's easy to understand now, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You, They're you your enemies. Tell, yeah. You tell some... Oh, goodness. Um, you tell somebody, and I'm not saying this is biblical. I'm not saying this is biblical. I'm not saying this is in the Bible. <laughs> go up to somebody and tell them that, you know what? I think there's a chance everybody's going to go to heaven. What did you just say? <laughs> what? No. No. And if that bothers you, that, and I, well, just say there was a chance that everybody got to go to heaven. I mean every single last one of them. Just say there's a chance. And if that bothers you, there is something in you that's wrong, and I will go on a limb and say. My favorite story, oh my goodness. <laughs> Moses. Blot my. You might not be saved. <laughs> <laughs> Moses said, blot my name out. If you're going to be done with Israel, blot my name out of the book of life too. Now look, I, I like what you're saying, Zarek, because again, as, as a pastor, I take very seriously what I say. I, I don't just fly off the whim and say whatever comes to mind. I care. But why does it bother us to think that way? Now again, I'm thank you for your warning for everyone because I don't want to get everybody in a titty. But you should want that. You should, yeah. you should, everything in you should say, you know what? I don't see it in scripture. I don't see it in the Bible that everybody's going to heaven. I don't have John 4, 17 and 1 Corinthians 3, 4, whatever those verses are. Go look at them. Uh, I don't have proof text for you. But but what I do have is, is this desire that everyone would be saved. I want everybody to, to be in heaven. Yeah. Um, but what that reveals is, you don't want everybody to be in heaven. And in fact, you probably have specific people that you don't want to be in heaven. 
Oh, I can admit to a few times in my life, man, let's just all be honest. There are times in life, I was on my way to church today, and I was, I actually was told some, I just, well, I was just thinking of, of people, uh, I'll say that, things that have been done and said, and uh, we all have those moments in life, and God spoke to me, and my oh, goodness, don't you just hate when this happens? He says, I love them too. And I'm just like, yeah, but I don't right now. <laughs> I don't right now. I don't need you to tell me that. Then he said it again. I love them too. And, oh, goodness, man. And I, like I said, sometimes we, we might not always want to hear that. At the end of the day, the people who hurt us most, the people who have done the absolute most wrong, God loves them too, and he desires for them to be in heaven with him for eternity just as much as he desires you to be in heaven with him. It does not matter if you have spent 50 years in the Bible uh, compared to someone who hasn't. I, dude, the thief on the cross, not one Bible study did he go to. No, they didn't have the Bible. I'm just saying, I don't remember, remember him ever paying tithes. I don't remember him ever uh, recalling, uh, uh, citing what sanctification was and what it ain't, I, you know, whatever. I don't remember him getting baptized. He didn't, by the way. I don't remember that ever happening. And yet Jesus yet still told him, today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. And so it's just like, I can imagine. Oh, then even when Zacchaeus, people were so mad that Jesus chose to go eat with Zacchaeus to his house. They were so infused with that. Why? It's because we think we deserve because of our righteousness and our holiness because we've done this and done that. We get so infused with Jesus actually saying, yeah, that, that's cool and all, but uh, I didn't come for the ones who claim to be righteous. Mm-hmm. I came for the ones to be... And that plays into humility. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Uh, that has that, that plays ball with pride, with being self-conceited, all that, all that good stuff. And that's a huge, huge issue. You know, pride tastes like vinegar. Yeah, it it's does. hard to swallow. Mm-hmm. And even better get the choir taste for it. Yeah, it, it. Everyone, everyone deals with it in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And we all have to get to a point to where we have to be prepared to take that. We, we, we just gotta swallow it, dude. It, it's, it tastes awful. And it, and it sucks. And when we think that people should just, ah, oh, I'm not going to lie. I, I even heard recently that, uh, you know, it, it's not talking about the walk with Jesus and, and Christian and struggling with sin. Uh, you know, let's say, you know, it, it's hard. And some, I literally heard somebody say, no, nah, it's not hard. We just make it hard. Tell that tell that to the six-year-old kid who was molested by his, uh, by his father and uncle for the, rest, for, for the majority of his life. Tell, tell that to them, and then they still decided to uh, be Christian. Tell that to the gay guy. Or to the, the lesbian woman who are struggling with, with homosexuality, uh, but they sincerely love God and they want to go to church. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even going to do a sermon on that. I'm just saying, tell that to those people who, but who continue to go to church, even though they know that they're not accepted there. You tell that to those people. Tell that to uh, the guy who has been beat maliciously by his parents. Tell that to the kid who grew up in foster care and then decided one day to get saved. Uh, Tell, tell that to those people. Are they making it hard or is that just hard? Mm-hmm. Tell that to those people. Because when we look, at, James Clanton also said this. If you don't know who James Clanton is, look him on Facebook, send him a friend request. He's a very good guy. Uh, just such a wise guy. He said this. He said, am I 
he said, how do I word this? I don't want to misquote him. I'll just paraphrase it because I don't want to quote him. I'll just say that this is what he was saying was, now this is going to sound kind of crazy, but hear me out. We're not saved from sin yet. If we were saved from sin, then, well, sin wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. We are being saved from sin and the power of sin and the guilt and the shame mm-hmm. of sin. Yeah. So I actually had a, a moment here recently that goes right along with that. Um, hopefully I don't get fired here. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, I might get canceled for this. <laughs> <laughs> I am a pastor, so I'm, it just takes some, some vulnerability on my part. But... I had a moment recently where I'm just struggling uh, with sin. I'll just say that. And in my mind and in my... I get, it's it's like everything in me... Uh, I feel crushed, right, yeah. when, when I fail. And there's a lot going on there. You, you, you spoke about humility um, to some degree. That feeling could be a sense of pride uh, that I let myself down. But, but but I asked God, I said this, I said, Lord, if I'm saved, why do I still sin? And, and he asked me, he said, do you have eternal life? I said, yeah. He said, well, why do you still get sick? Okay. We have a hope laid up for us mm-hmm. for eternal life, for salvation. In fact, the promise is this, that when Jesus Christ returns... We're going to see him as he really is and then be made like him. We'll be like him because we'll see him like he really is. Uh, if you want to look that up, I don't know where that's at. but Look, Galatians even says we don't have these promises because we keep the law. We have these promises because of the promised one. If, if, if Christ's salvation and just anything about him was given to you through self-effort, what would make his sacrifice any different from the sacrifice of a lamb that would happen regularly? Hebrews talks about it. How his sacrifice is for all time. Hebrews 10, 14. How would that make any sense? And what would make his sacrifice any better if it was through our self-effort that salvation came? And I know we say this a lot. And I know there, I actually know this is probably being taught a little bit more now than it ever has been. Um, and I know it's like, oh, well, you're saying the same stuff that all, you know, that, that I, you know, I know there's a bunch of religion, but I feel like a bunch of the, the newer podcasts that are out, a bunch of the new TikTok videos you'll see, a bunch of the Instagram things like, oh, that's all we hear now is how grace, 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 you know, we hear that. But I want you to really be honest with yourself. You may be hearing it, uh, but do you feel it? Yeah, come on. It's not hitting. Like, I, I really want you to be honest with yourself. Is it really hitting you? Uh, because it does not matter how many times you have heard something if you have not let it get inside of you if you have not let it actually um hebrews 5 verse 13 i could be wrong but it is in hebrews 5 says that we actually cannot spiritually mature until we have been penetrated by the god's revelation of righteousness right and i that's another start for another time but i'm just saying it, it doesn't matter how many times you hear something if it's not hitting you it, it doesn't matter like i want you to be honest with yourself when you sin when you sin, do you genuinely feel freedom or do you feel like you just can't even ask for forgiveness because you're so ashamed of what you did? And uh, most of the time, it is the second one. And so I don't really care how many times on grace that we met. And it's it's really not spoke about enough. I hear all the time, we speak too much on that hippie crap, Mm -hmm. that lovey-dovey. It ain't spoke on enough. That's why why people hate themselves. Mm -hmm. I've also been, it's also kind of been taught, holiness is the hatred of sin. 
And it's not. Holiness is not the hatred of sin. You have to hate sin in order to be holy. And, you know, people will tell you that, and you'll go home, and you'll hate sin, but then you look at pornography because you hate sin so much, and then you did it, then you hate yourself. And the church, most of the time, not the whole, I won't say the whole church, but a lot of times in the church, they will be okay with that as long as you refrain from it, even if it means uh, you, if you hate yourself. And, and, and so here, you said something powerful there. Even if you refrain from it. See, God's not interested in you just not sinning. Because you could you cannot you can have the the desire to sin still in your heart and still just not act on it. And it's the, temptation. The, the problem hasn't been solved, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like, well, I really wanted to, to kill that person. But I didn't kill him. So at least I didn't sin. And and God's like, no. You need to go talk to somebody about that. <laughs> you need to you need to go talk to somebody about that, of course. But but God wants to heal us from the inside out, completely get rid of the desire. So the, the, it can't just be about not sinning. It, it's the desire has to be changed. And, and the way that happens is this. The, the love of God, which is his righteousness. Because mm-hmm. Jesus is the righteousness of God, and we're the righteousness of God. We're made in his image and all this other stuff. But, but what Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, what they really tell the story is... What's really happening is, is God saying, this is how much I love you. He, he takes on our humanity. He completely, uh, you, you can't really, uh, in, in our times, I guess, uh, display your love for another person more than marrying them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Christ is. That's the incarnation. God has married himself to humanity. Yeah. And he's still human, right? He's still human, and he still identifies and and. and he loves us that much that he's become one with us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 says this, I am writing this letter to all the devoted believers, devoted believers, who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. Three things there. I'm writing this letter to all the devoted believers. So I have this saying about, well actually I don't have this saying, I've, I've taught it, but I, I'll give credit, I have to give credit to Damon Thompson on this. He, he makes the point that it's a it's a belief uh, that that's where the, the 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 issue stems from a wrong belief produces a wrong being which produces a wrong action a wrong behavior right belief causes a right being which causes a right right behavior that they're all second natural secondary consequences of the the root right here devoted believers not devoted uh action doers devoted believers who have been made holy by being more how so he's writing to the devoted believers uh, who have been made holy. They've been made holy. By by what? By being one with Jesus. And a footnote here says, uh, notice that God is the one who makes us holy, but our response is to be faithful or devoted. And so my natural secondary consequence, I, I put it like I put it to my dad like this yesterday. You know, we see in the Bible where it says, you know, because a lot of times, it's like, well, I mean, the Bible says, we, I'll put this. When we talk about grace a lot, you know, we'll, a lot of people get so scared. It's like people get so scared to speak on this kind of stuff because they're so scared that people will hear it and just go live whatever way they want to live. And they get scared because they'll just go live in sin. They can just do whatever they want. And that, goodness gracious, I've never one time in my life uh, thought, well, I can just go do what I want now. 
Well, after I heard about the revelation of grace, it made me want to go after God more. Because why? Because I'm a devoted believer who has been made holy by being faithful to Jesus, by putting my faith in Jesus, because he's even faithful when I'm not faithful. Here's the deal. Sometimes it's not even about your faithfulness. It's about your faithfulness and his faithfulness, right? And so I have been made holy. So I told my dad this. If you put your belief in Jesus... And your actions after that do not produce, because Paul says this. We all know Paul says, you know, what's godly and what isn't. So we have the ungodly, which is uh, pornography, it's uh, sex before marriage, sexual immorality, drugs, being addicted, all that sorts of stuff, wickedness, witchcraft, whatever. And then you have the life of, of Christ, right? And so if I put my belief in Jesus and yet my life is still producing the stuff on the left, the ungodly, then obviously my belief ain't in Jesus, no matter how many times I say it. But if I truly put my belief in Jesus, then I've been made holy. So it should produce a holiness inside of me. So my response to that would be, it's like if you were to tell me, hey man, you look awesome today. Thank you. If my response is thank you, obviously I've got right manners. But if you tell me, you look good today, man. Oh yeah, I know. Idiot. <laughs> obviously, obviously, my it's about my response, and my response will come from what I believe. You know, it's crazy. That was actually I was exactly thinking while you're talking about that about how you respond to it, because I feel like there are I would say two, but there's really three responses. Because one of them is just somebody not caring, but there are two major responses you'll get from Christians who who get that revelation of grace. One of them is, oh wow. This, this changes everything. I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to, to do it this way anymore. It's not about self-effort anymore. I can, I can rest in Jesus. I can abide. And then you'll get the other reaction, which is, that's just an ear-tickling gospel. I don't want to hear any of that. And I feel like for a lot of people, it's because in their minds, it invalidates to them all the hard work that they've put in. It does. Romans 10.1 talks about that. Romans 10.1, Paul genuinely says, My sincerest and deepest prayer is for my fellow Israelites to experience salvation. King James Version says uh, for them to be saved. Uh, so just in case you're one of, you know, what the King James Version says, just in case you want to read that, it says they weren't saved. He says, Even though they are deeply devoted to God, they are unenlightened. For they go about being acceptable to God through self-effort. It's like getting a million dollars, a billion dollars one day, just out of nowhere. There are two reactions you could have that. Either one, well, why I've been working a job my entire life. This sucks. I don't want this. And then giving somebody back the money because you've worked your whole life and you don't want to invalidate all the work that you've put into your job. Like get like you said, I remember a while back you said it'd be like somebody uh, just gave you a free house and be like, oh, I don't want that. I want to go buy one. Yeah. I'd rather <laughs> live in the rinky-dink little house I built myself instead of the one that you built for me that you're giving to me for free. That's very nice, by the way. Yeah, the, the house is like super good mm -hmm. great it's got great plumbing uh, <laughs> that's of stuff ain't no rats in there yeah none <laughs> and I ain't knocking down anybody that's got rats we, we, me and my dad are trying to catch one right now <laughs> in our house my goodness it's knocking over all of our cleaning supplies and you know so don't 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 think I'm judging you if you got rats in your house we got we got one he's gonna kill me for saying that <laughs> <laughs> so we're an hour and three minutes in is there anything else that you as tickling your heart? No. No, I think we uh, really covered what I was hoping we would cover. Sweet. Um, you know, I'll say one last thing. 
it ultimately comes down to this: the Holy Spirit's got to, He has to reveal this in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can listen to this podcast. You can uh, you can you can, actually you can find a podcast preacher, YouTube channel, whatever that's going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Uh, but the the Holy Spirit has to move in, reveal these things to you, and ultimately, what He's going to reveal to you is the real character nature of who God is and he's going to do it by leading you straight to Jesus and that's and, perfect theology by the way yes you, you we, it's been said it's, it's been said it, it was that encounter with Jesus that saved you and, and it's it's a continual revealing and encounter with Jesus by the Holy Spirit that's going to sustain you I don't care about your boxes because they will come down they, they may not come down for you in your life, but they're gonna they're gonna shatter when you try to give it to all those people that you listed off earlier. That that your paradigm does not fit their experience. If you even look in the Bible, you'll see many occasions where somebody believed one way or they were adamant on this, but then it says, but then God gave them a dream or an angel of God came to them. I mean, look at Joseph and Mary. I know this is basic, but I mean, he did not believe her. He did not believe her a bit. Uh, you know, he was even willing to divorce her so she wouldn't look bad. And then, but but an angel of God, you know what I'm saying? So, and I, and I know the angel, an angel of God is not the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we can believe whatever we want to believe. We can listen to whatever we want to listen to it, but it does not matter until we let Holy Spirit give us mm-hmm. what He wants to give us. That's great because you know what that does? That frees you from the burden of trying to convince everybody that what you're saying is right. Mm-hmm. You can let go. You don't have to convince people with a great argument. You don't have to have proof text to, to list out and show them. Because I had a conversation with someone recently about something I said uh, on Facebook. I made a Facebook post and someone called me out on it. Oh, aren't those the most lovely <laughs> conversations? Oh, yes. And I told the person, I said, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. I would be a fool to think that I could argue with 500 years of Calvinism. <laughs> I can't argue. They, they have built a solid argument. And they have all the proof texts that would suggest that they're right. And and I don't have enough evidence or care enough to, to have that evidence to mount up against your evidence. I'm just, I'm not going to convince you. But what I can do, what we can do. I need to do that. I need to. I need that. That's a good what, word. We, I need that. What, what we can do is pray. Yeah. And not just say, Lord, make them know what I know. <laughs> say Holy, that too. <laughs> Holy, Holy Spirit, I, I want to know you, God. Yeah. I want to know you as you really are. Not as I have believed you to be. Not as I would fabricate you to be. And and so, Lord, reveal yourself truly to me, Holy Spirit, through your word, through others. Can we have some humility to listen to some other people? Maybe their perspective is a godsend and he's trying to tell you something. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and pray for whoever it is that you're having these encounters with. But Blake, when you had mentioned that shift in paradigm idea, it had made me think of something. I'll try to run through this real quick because I know we're getting towards the end. But it made me think of something. I guess this is all in my mind because I preached on it recently, and it's just still stuck in my mind. But the story of the blind man and John healed Jesus' spit. And we didn't heal Jesus' spit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my bad. Whoopsies. But when the Pharisees came to him, they tried to find every reason. <laughs> oh man, we got a laughing fit going. I'm gonna keep trying to speak through it, but I might, I might not be able to. My apologies. Oh, you're good, Zach. But they came to him, and they tried 
for him to give them every reason to invalidate his healing and invalidate what happened. And then eventually, when they couldn't invalidate it, they had to invalidate it by just calling him someone who was born a blind, filthy sinner so that his words didn't count. And imagine what could have happened in their lives if instead, when they heard of a blind man healed on the Sabbath, a man who was blind from birth, by the way, which is part of why they hated him so much, because in Jewish culture at the time, if you were born blind or born with a disability, you must have deserved it from your own sin or from the sin of your parents. That was the common belief at the time, so they didn't want his healing to happen How at all, really. does it even make sense, your own sin? I don't know, dude. How would you sin in the womb? It's or, ridiculous. Or beforehand, like what? It's basically, they just, they had to have a reason why it was earned. And you know what, the, that goes right back to the main problem, right? What they really thought was that God was punishing them mm-hmm. for something someone had done. Yeah. Because yep. they had a wrong idea about who God is. And Jesus came, and he did a lot of things, don't get me wrong. But I really think the most important thing Jesus did was he showed us who God really is. Mm-hmm. Imagine Absolutely. the change in their lives. Imagine the change in their lives. If in that moment they heard of a blind man, born blind, healed on the Sabbath, instead of finding every reason why it couldn't be true, they just accepted it. And they found the real Jesus. Didn't the blind man even go on to say, because they were telling him all this different stuff, and you know, and he was like, well, I don't know nothing about all that. I just, I just know I was blind. And now, and now I see. Now listen, if we could all get that mindset, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but he healed me. If I, I would be will, I would be, oh, dude, genuinely, I would be so willing to sacrifice my own opinion, my own arguments. I would be willing to sacrifice my own theology. I would be willing to dismiss theology altogether. If everybody, this is impossible, and it'll never happen. But if everybody could just, even myself included, even myself included. No matter how right I think my theology is or you think yours is, if I could get to the point, man, I, I don't know about any of that. I, I'm, I just know I was one way. Now I'm another. And now I am another. All I know is that even in my deepest, darkest sin, even as a youth pastor, even as a some someone who grew up in the church, my dad's been a pastor my entire life, I am one of the ones who came out of my mama's womb with a tambourine. I was that kid, right? No matter the darkness, all I know is that no matter what, God still loves me. No matter what, I'm going to say this. There will never be a point in your walk with Christ, in your salvation, that you reach the limit of sin where it's like, oh, well, your salvation's run out. Because I'm going to say this. You cannot lose your salvation. Come on. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. You can't lose it as in like you lose your car keys. Oh, well, I've, I've just misplaced them. I don't know where my car keys are at, and i got to go look for them again. No. There will never be a time where you have just reached the limit of your struggles and your mishaps and your walk with Christ, or he'll just be like, oh, well, you lost it now. But you know what can happen? God's given you the gift of salvation, just like with any other gift, you can at, at some point, either at the beginning, say, no, I don't want it, or when you've actually got the gift. It would be like getting a PlayStation for Christmas and you got tired of it and then you sold it. You gave it right back or gave it, you know what I'm saying? You can do that, but you can't just lose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Donald, you haven't spoken since like the first half. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if there's anything you would like to add before we uh, close out, Go ahead. I would like to say, uh, and touching on like what Trenton said, where the Pharisees just resorted to saying, "Well, you were born that way." It's because, I mean, this is just like an observation, just a an idea that the 
some of it is like a, a disinclination to where they just prefer not to know and they prefer to stay in the way that they are but i think that is birthed from the the belief like an, a deep intrinsic belief that they believe that they are intrinsically worthless mm. or intrinsically sinful like like the bible says that we like have a, a sin nature like we were born with like mm. sin in our flesh and so like some people and what satan would probably want you to believe is that you are intrinsically before you were formed and the very idea of you is bad mm. so you shouldn't even try to change it come on and and the truth of the matter is we're made in the image of God. Amen. Yeah. We're made in the image of God, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's not just revealing who God is. He's revealing who we are. Yeah. That's good. And and I really could preach about this. It's, it's yeah. so good. Maybe another time. Yes. And, dude, I, I mean, that makes me think of something that I spoke on. Uh, I think it was for a college day ministry. There's somebody revving up that engine out there. <laughs> anyway... I wonder how that 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 written your teeth in anger is going to sound with the jazz playing in the background. <laughs> oh, that's going to be great. <laughs> great. Anyway, um, that ties back into something that I spoke on a while back. But uh, I think a big thing. Did you guys hear that? I'm sorry, I can't ignore that. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I did. <laughs> hey, I think it was a dog. Going. Anyway, going. anyway, yeah, there it is. That sounds so weird. I'm so sorry, uh, but anyway, we gotta restart now. Oh, that, that, that would be awful. Could you imagine an hour and 13 minutes? In? But uh, it was something that I spoke on a while back. A big thing that Satan. Well, I, I think I believe personally. This is another thing that that Scripture what states. <laughs> I, I could uh, I couldn't point you there, but anyway, um, it, it's in a modern day Timothy three sixteen. I, I don't know, but I think one of Satan's main goals is to make you forget. It is to is to essentially get as get everything as muddy as possible to make you forget your identity in Christ. To forget who you are, to forget what's been done on the cross, to forget ev everything that has what what matters, so that you will focus on the most pointless things possible to mislead you, and and to, to strand you, to, to lead you astray in every way, every way, shape, form, or fashion, so that it's harder for you to find uh, peace and joy. Or, or even possibly salvation. You, you, you might be running around like a headless chicken trying to find out the proper, quote-unquote, proper way to be saved. And I, I think this is one of Satan's biggest tricks, and he's used the church to do it. He's used uh, uh, certain ministers to, to preach. Uh, and what a smart message. tactic that is. It yeah. is extremely smart, and that is why we do not downplay Satan. He's smart at what he does. He's been doing this. His He's entire... good at what he does. Exactly. So, yeah, like, I don't know. That, and, and I think that's what I end up with. No, but that's actually, and I'll end off with this too. And that actually, I know I'll joke aside, that actually, you're not going to find an exact verse that says what you said, but you mm -hmm. can find it in Scripture. Is Satan not the polar opposite of God? Is he not the polar opposite of Jesus? 
And you said he wants you to forget. But does Jesus not say do this in remembrance? Mm -hmm. So Jesus wants you to remember. I know that verse is saying, no, remember, do this in remembrance of me. I know, mm -hmm. I know that's what he's saying. But what I'm saying is Jesus wants you to remember and Satan, while Satan wants you to forget. So. Mm -hmm. Anyway, does, has everyone gotten across what, what, they, what they had on their hearts? We good? Good, brother. Awesome. I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes. Oh, I know yeah. I, say, I say that about like everyone that we do. But, uh, Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, absolutely. We would love to have you on another time. Uh, we will, we will, that'll probably be, I, I, don't, I don't know when that would be. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you liked listening to the topics and whatnot, go ahead and share it with your family, whether that be at the dinner table or you send it off a text. Whatever way causes the most trouble possible, please do it that way. Just completely tear apart your entire family. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, no, I don't condone that. Um, anyway, <laughs> don't do what Trenton just said. That was polar opposite to what I said. Share it with your family, share it with your friends, support us by giving us feedback and sharing the podcast, that's all we ask. If you have any feedback, there's an option on Spotify for you to add in a uh, little bit of a review. So you can go ahead and do that as well if you feel free. Feel free to do that. It's also free to listen to on Spotify, so you can go on there, do the survey thingy, and tell us how you feel about the episode. Feel free to private message us some, some of us so that uh, you can send us ideas or something. We are open to any suggestions, anything to make the podcast experience better for you and everyone else that follows. Anyway, with all that being said, my name is Timothy Dotson. I'm Trenton Alak. And I'm Donald Garrett. I'm Zarek Barnett. Pastor Blake Neveau. And you have been listening to the Passion Cast. <laughs>